disciples. He was probably speaking of his kingdom that one day he will rule. For he is, the Bible says, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And as he was speaking to those that were following him about the kingdom, he was describing in this sermon really what the kingdom is going to be ruled by. Some of the laws and rules that will dominate in this kingdom and him as king, the laws that he will enforce. And so uh, we, we, we studied last week how there was a much that he spoke on of our character. As citizens of this kingdom, there is the character that we ought to have that Jesus spoke about. Every citizen of the kingdom of heaven will, will have a character that is that of Christ. And, uh, and so we talked a little bit about that last week, looking there at verses 3, 4, and 5, and, and talked about the character that we can have in our life. And we said that if we can just, con if we can make that part of our lives, if we can have that kind of character in our life, then we can experience the joy that comes from having that character. And we said that heaven is going to be a wonderful place. The kingdom of God is going to be unlike any other kingdom there is. When Jesus rules this earth, the kingdom that he establishes will be so different, so much bigger, so much stronger, so much more uh, lasting and marvelous than any kingdom has ever been on this earth. And so we talked a little bit about we are waiting for that kingdom. We're excited. The king is coming again, and we will be in that kingdom with him. In fact, the Bible says that those that are in Christ will rule with him in that kingdom. So it's a kingdom that we're looking forward to, a kingdom that I can't wait to be a part of. But you know, there's a truth that the Bible teaches, and I believe in this passage Jesus shares a little bit about that, that you don't have to wait till then to experience what the kingdom is going to be like. But we can experience a little bit of that kingdom here and now as we apply some of the laws that will be in that kingdom. We said one thing was the character that we're to have, and we can experience the joy. In fact, the Bible says, blessed. If you'll see in verse number three, four, and five, Jesus kept saying, blessed. That word blessed means happy. Happy. You're going to have joy. You're going to have completeness. You're going to have happiness if you can have this kind of character in your life. But Jesus not only spoke of character, but as citizens of his kingdom, he spoke to us as citizens, not only of our character, but also of our conduct. And what we're going to study this morning in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, you'll find that Jesus really begins to focus now on the conduct of those citizens. He talks about the character in verse 3, 4, and 5, but now he focuses on the conduct. What is the conduct of those citizens of his kingdom? For you see, uh, once you have the right character in your life, it should produce the right kind of conduct in your life. If you have right character, you'll produce the right kind of conduct. You see, because what you believe, if you have the right kind of belief in you, the right kind of faith, belief always determines behavior. You know, it kind of reminds me of um, Jake and his parrot. Uh, there's this young man named Jake who had been given a parrot. And the parrot that he'd been given was just a very rude parrot. He was one of those parrots that never had a nice thing to say. He was a parrot that uh, always, anytime he started talking, he was just rude uh, to people. He was very rude to Jake, his owner. Uh, he would always use profanity. And, and Jake, of course, was uh, distraught when, when he started first hearing this parrot do that. And, uh, and so he, he decided, you know, I need, to, I need to try to help this parrot change in, in what he's doing and, and his behavior. And so he, he tried all kinds of methods. He tried, first of all, with good, soft Christian music. And he put that in his house, and he, he put it next to the parrot's cage, and he said, man, if, if I could just have some good Christian music, this parrot's definitely going to change his vocabulary. Well, halfway through most of the songs, the parrot would just hear something he didn't like, and boom, start again, just start cussing, and start saying all kinds of rude and bad things. And so Jake was like, all right, this is not working. Then he thought, all right, you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll put some uh, a Bible on audio. So he gets on iTunes, he buys this Bible on audio, and he puts the, the Bible on audio next to the bird's, pay, uh, bird's cage. And, and the parrot begins to listen to the Bible. And he thought, okay, definitely after listening to the Bible for quite, quite some time, then, uh, then he'll start changing his behavior. So he let the Bible keep playing for a few days. And sure enough, after a few days, 
the parrot got really tired of the Bible and then again started with his cussing and all the rudeness that came with him. And, and finally, Jake was so fed up with this parrot, uh, he started yelling at it, you got to change, you can't be this way. He started yelling and laying into that parrot. Well, the parrot started yelling back at him. The parrot started telling Jake what he didn't like about Jake, and now they're yelling at each other. They're angry with each other. That bird is saying all kinds of rude things to Jake, and Jake finally loses it. He grabs the bird, opens his freezer, throws him in the freezer, and closes the door. As soon as he closes the door, that parrot in there, you could hear him. He's banging on the door. He's saying cuss words. He's telling Jake what he hates about Jake, and I can't believe you just threw me in this freezer. And he's yelling and kicking and doing all kinds of things. Jake is just mad, and he's like, fine, just stay in there if you're going to be that way. Well, after a little while, suddenly the bird goes deathly quiet. 30 seconds goes by, nothing. A minute goes by, nothing. Five minutes go by, nothing. Now Jake's a little bit worried. Now Jake's feeling a little bit bad. He He's thinking, maybe, maybe I took that parrot and did something in anger I should not have done. I, I probably shouldn't have thrown him in the freezer. That was probably really crossing the line a little bit too mean. And, and now he's quiet. He's probably freezing to death in there. I, I, I probably went over the line. So he goes to his freezer. He opens the door. And the parrot politely steps out. And he goes to Jake's shoulder and he tells Jake, he, he said, I, Jake, I believe I, I may have offended you with my rude language and my profanity and my actions. He said, Jake, I'm sincerely remorseful and sorry for my inappropriate behavior. And I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. Jake was stunned. Jake was just about to ask the parrot what in fact made that change when the parrot continued and he said, Jake, I just got to ask you one more thing. What did the turkey do? <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes something big to change what we're doing. <laughs> you know, as soon as that parrot figured out, oh, he might leave me here to die just like that turkey, he thought, I better change. Well, you know, as citizens of the kingdom of God, listen, our character should reflect, our conduct should reflect our character. Once we have the right kind of character in our life, once we know and we've made decisions to say, this is how I ought to be, then you can do what you ought to do. And so Jesus, as he's giving this sermon, shares with them some, some, some things about character, but then he shares with them some things about conduct. And I want you to notice uh, this morning there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. Let's jump into that first verse, verse number 6. You'll notice that Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want you to notice that the first kind of conduct in our life that Jesus says we should have as a result of our character is this, a holy life. You know the phrase, Hunger and thirst after righteousness means to have a craving for and a desire to do what is right. Recently, I've, uh, I've, I've been doing my best to try to, to go on a diet. And if you've ever gone on a diet, you know how difficult diets are. And for me, I'm not doing very well. I'll just be right up, up front with you and honest. I, I'm not doing very well on my diet, okay? One of the main reasons that, um, that I don't do very well is... Uh, in the morning, it's not too bad. Um, if, if you're used to like skipping breakfast and, you know, dieting too bad in, in the morning, if you have to eat a banana or whatever the diet calls for, you can do that. That's not too bad. But as I get later through the day, I find it harder and harder to eat whatever it is that the diet's asking for to eat. And I have found, and maybe you've ha found this in your life, but I found like right before I go to bed, I start having these cravings. <laughs> cravings. And I just recently bought these um, oatmeal pies. Has anybody ever had oatmeal pies? Like, it sounds healthy, right? Because it says oatmeal. Oatmeal is good. Oatmeal should be healthy. But the cream pie, that's the bad part of it. But that's the most delicious part of it. So I bought these oatmeal pies. And recently, probably like the last three or four days, you can ask Miss Rochelle, before I go to bed, I have two cream pies and a big glass of milk. 
and it ruins my whole diet for the rest of the day and the night, right? But it's so funny because I'll start craving that every time right before I go to bed. Do you know that the word hunger there is the same word used for craving? It's to have something where you're like, I got to have it. I just, I, I want it so bad. And anyone on a diet knows what a craving is. When you see someone else, you know, eating a, a chocolate bar or eating something that you can't have, then your stomach starts saying, I want that. I want that. I want that. Start craving it. And it's so hard to curb your cravings. And it, no matter, listen, it, no, no matter what they do, uh, you know, they have those healthy snacks and the healthy candy bar. And this is healthy chocolate. It doesn't taste like chocolate. It's probably not even healthy. Well, it might be healthy, but it's never good. All right? Uh, no matter what, you can't really replace it till you have the real thing, right? You've you got to have it. You just start craving it that way. Well, Jesus said, Blessed, happy are those that hunger, that have that craving for this, for righteousness. You know, the first evidence of a godly character in a person's life is a holy life. James said this, he said, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know, the, a holy life means an unspotted, a separated life. In other words, when you talk about having a holy life, it's, it's talking about personal separation. Personal separation. You see, this is seen by the fact that as citizens, we're to be different from this world. Do you know if you're a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, that means you're not a citizen of this kingdom and of this world. And Jesus over and over throughout his ministry, he had to remind his disciples, listen, my kingdom is not of this world. Hey, you're not of this world. You might be in this world, but you're not of this world. Look at John 15, verse 18 and 19. It says, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Jesus had to remind his disciples over and over and over. Listen, there is a separation, a difference between you and the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Our conduct ought to reflect something that is different from this world. Part of having a holy life is being separated from this world. We ought to be separated in our purpose. We ought to be separated in our desire. We ought to be separated in what we do. And by the way, the world always hates when we're separated from it. That's why Jesus says, it's hating me. Can you imagine? We live in a world today that wants to use Jesus to justify all kinds of wrong behavior, do we not? Well, Jesus is love, so Jesus has to love me. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe it says this and that, but, you know, hey, Jesus is all about love, and, and Jesus loves everybody and everything. And we use Jesus to try to justify all kinds of things, all kinds of wrong behavior. But, you know, Jesus said, listen, if you live right, if you're doing what is right, if you're living a holy life, the world will hate you. Have you noticed? I was talking with someone uh, just a few weeks ago, but have you noticed that there's more and more... Uh, Companies and organizations in our society that are, are standing up for so many things that they would never do for anything else and anyone else. Uh, recently, I, I want to say maybe uh, two years ago or so, uh, the U.S. men's soccer team in a soccer match, I think they were playing like Costa Rica or something like that, but they had jerseys with rainbows on it. First time I saw it, I said, is that a rainbow? What, what is that? I looked it up on the internet and they were wearing rainbow jerseys to celebrate Gay Pride Month or Gay Pride something. But you know, if you were to call the U.S. Men's Soccer Association or whoever heads it up and says, listen, that's fine that you're doing that. Would you also do a month where we can just have crosses and maybe a verse or two on their jerseys as they play? Maybe next month, can we do that? And they'll say, absolutely not. No way. That's intolerant. Those people that call themselves Christians, they don't accept gay marriage as something that is okay. That, that's intolerant. That's hateful. And they hate you and me because we stand up for what the Bible says real marriage is between man and a woman for one lifetime. That's what the Bible says marriage is. But because you stand up for that, now you're hated. Jesus said, listen, because you are going to live a life that is holy, the world's going to hate you. 
Let me tell you something. If, if you're going somewhere and you're around people that are not saved, they're not going to like the music that you listen to. They're not going to like the decisions that you make about what you're going to do when you're around them. They're not going to like the fact that you want to pray all the time right before you eat. They're not going to like the fact that you don't want to bring your family to the party because there's going to be drinking. They don't like the fact that you want to reject and, 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 and just in your lifestyle of saying, I don't want to do that, it condemns their lifestyle, so they hate you for it. And Jesus said, listen, don't be surprised if it hated me. Jesus, who never wronged anybody, who never lied about anybody, who never said something in anger wrongly to someone, never said something hateful to someone. You know, sometimes we can treat someone badly, and you can say, well, I can understand how he doesn't like that person, or he doesn't like me. I, I was a little bit rude, or I, I didn't do something, I didn't handle that situation right. But Jesus handled every situation right. Jesus loved people better than you and me ever have loved people, and they still hated him. Why? Because he was holy. Because he was different. Jesus said, happy are they that hunger, those that have the craving for righteousness, for doing good. You see, the basis of this separation is the fact that we have been called to a different kind of life. We've made, been made different by the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you, he says, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Therefore, our life is separated and different in purpose as well as in practice. In purpose and identity as well as in how we behave and how we conduct our life. We have a lot of people today that want to claim and use the label Christian, but they don't want to live that way. They don't want to stand for that kind of truth. But they want the label. They want to be looked at in that manner. But let me just say that the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you're a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, and if you are a Christian today, then you ought to have a life that is holy, a life that has personal separation in it. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Our practice and our conduct ought to be different. Don't be surprised if people don't like our churches. Don't be surprised if people don't like your music. Don't be surprised if people don't like the fact that you stand for the truth, that you stand for the word of God and say, this is the perfect word of God, and I believe every word in it. Don't be surprised if people don't like that or hate you for it. It's a life of personal separation. There's a baseball player by the name of Bobby Richardson Played for the Yankees in the 1950s and 60s. You can see his picture there. He's the only player, the only player, as to my knowledge, that has ever won the MVP in a World Series being on the losing team. He was so good in that series that even though his team lost, he still won the MVP. Only one that I know of so far that has done that in a World Series. But Bobby Richardson was a man that was very much known for his faith. And he shared his faith. He was a very well-known Christian. And he gave a prayer one time when he was at a meeting at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the FCA. And he gave this prayer. He said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. You know, a holy life, a life that is defined by personal separation, can pray this prayer. You can say, God, I just want to do your will I don't want to do anything else with my life. I don't want to do anything less with my life. I don't want to do anything more with my life. I just want to do what you want. A life that is defined by holiness, that is thirsting, and that is hungering after righteousness is one that has a personal separation in it. But secondly, it has a public separation to it. You see, the hunger and thirst is not only for our righteousness to be seen and felt in our own personal life, but also to be seen and felt by those around us. There is a desire to see that God's righteous laws are obeyed and follow after. A person that wants to live a life that is holy, a person uh, that really wants that kind of life says, I want it personally for me. I'm hungering for righteousness in me. But let me tell you, I want righteousness for those around me as well. 
That's why Isaiah, when he would preach, he one time preached a sermon. He said there in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah wasn't just talking about those in his personal life, but he was talking about those in his society, those in his city, and those in his country and in his nation of Israel. Woe to them. Those that thirst after righteousness want to see that God's law is upheld. Paul writing to Timothy there, he says, I exhort thee therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He said, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You know what Paul was telling Timothy? He was saying, we ought to pray that God's laws be upheld in our society, in our city. Pray for them. Pray for those leaders. And one thing that we try to do in our church every Wednesday in our prayer meeting is we have a, a time and there's a section in our, in our prayer uh, uh, pamphlet there that prays for our president and our vice president and those in the House and those in the Congress and uh, those local officials that we have uh, here in Palmview. We want to pray for all of them. Why? Because we want to see righteousness upheld. You see... What brings joy in our life, if we're going to be blessed, right, if we're going to be happy, is having a life of holiness. Not only holiness in our life, but holiness in those around us. Have you noticed that when the Christian uh, uh, life and the Christian, uh, um, when Christianity comes to a place, everything gets better? I know that uh, our system tries to tell us we have to separate uh, our, our religion and, and, and the government, and you've got a separation of church and state. But you, I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever Christianity comes to a nation, you'll find that there are hospitals built, and they'll say, you know, something like uh, First Baptist Hospital or something like that. Have you noticed that when Christianity comes to a society, people begin to love one another, forgive one another? Have you noticed that when Christianity comes to a place, uh, people are a lot, a lot more united and unified under Christ? You see, because Christianity can do that, and only Christianity can do that. There's a public separation. There ought to be a thirsting. I think we ought to do our very best as members of this church and as citizens of this city to get involved and say, what are some of the policies that we need to be aware of? And what are some things happening in our nation that we need to be aware of? And, and where is it that we can go and talk to somebody or, or protest somewhere and say, we're not for abortion. We, we think that that is murder and that we need uh, to save every life that we can save. Uh, we, we need to be involved in saying, you know what, marriage ought to be between a man and a woman, and that only, that's what the Bible teaches. One man, one woman for one lifetime. And I don't care what the Supreme Court says, and I don't really care what the voting uh, uh, society says, uh, what God says trumps all of that. And we need to have some people that say, that's what I'm going to stand behind, and that's what I'm going to go for. I think we're, when you get to a, an election, and we'll be going, coming up to election season next year, look for a candidate that's going to stand for, uh, 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 of saying, we're, we're going to try to save every unborn baby, every life that we can, because life is given by God. Find someone like that. Find a candidate that's going to say, we want to uphold what marriage truly is, that marriage is between one man and one woman. We need to uphold things like that. Simply saying that, if we're going to have a life that is going to be happy, if you can experience a little bit of heaven now, you've got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You've got to have a life that is holy. But I want you to notice, secondly, a life that is merciful. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Another evidence of godly life is a person who is merciful. You see, a person who is merciful is one that forgives others one that forgives others see mercy does not seek to judge others on their mistakes but rather looks to reconcile by giving love to them in its place it identifies with the person it identifies with the person you'll notice in hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 the author here is speaking about the lord jesus christ and i want you to notice what he writes he says wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, that's the same word there, merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You know why God took upon himself flesh? You think God could have saved us without taking upon himself flesh? Absolutely he could have. 
But why did he take upon himself flesh? Well, that Bible says, or that verse says it's so he could identify with us. That's God's mercy. If you look in verse 18, and I didn't put it in your notes, but if you look in verse 18, he, he says that uh, though, uh, so that way he could be tempted like as we, but then show us how to overcome that temptation. So he never did sin. He never did succumb to what uh, the, the devil wanted him to do. But being in flesh, he could, he could say, I know what, you, what you're feeling. I know that temptation that you face. You see, a person that is merciful is one that's looking to forgive by saying, I, I can identify with that. I can see where you're coming from. There's a, a mom that was one time appealing to Napoleon Bonaparte, the emperor of France. And during his reign, it was, it was a difficult reign. And he was much of a dictator, the history tells us. And one time he was going to condemn a man to death. And the mom was there pleading for his life. And Napoleon said to the mom, you see, your son has committed a, an offense that's worthy of death. I, I must carry out the sentence now. And his mom pleading said, sir, Mr. Napoleon, she said, I, I don't ask for justice. All I am pleading for is a little bit of mercy. And Napoleon said, but your son doesn't deserve mercy for what he did. She said, no, sir, he does not. She said, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. That's why I'm asking for mercy. The emperor, upon hearing that, said, I understand you, and granted him mercy. See, mercy is not about what I can earn. It's not what about I can buy. It's not what I can get. It's all about what I identify with, what, what mercy has been shown to me. You see, the basis of our forgiveness to others is the fact that we've been forgiven ourselves. We see that mercy is one that looks to forgive others, but also one that shows compassion for others. You see, the word mercy carries with it the idea of compassion. Someone defined compassion as my hurt in your, uh, your hurt, I'm sorry, in my heart. The merciful are those who in compassion toward others seek to help and love them realizing the compassion they have received. You say, mercy forgives those because you can identify them. Compassion can remember what you have received already. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, it says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We find that the Bible says, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those, in other words, that are willing to forgive others and have compassion on others. Why? Because they themselves will obtain that compassion and that mercy. Man, you, you want to have a, a better family life? You want to have a better work life? Learn to forgive those at work that offend you. <clears throat> Learn to have compassion on those that are in a much more difficult situation than you in life. You'll find the blessedness, the joy that comes from that. But Jesus says we must have a life that is holy. Having the right character provides or, uh, or produces, I should say, a merciful life. And thirdly, a resolute life. A resolute life. He says there in verse number uh, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, the third evidence of a godly life Jesus shares is those that he calls pure in heart. They will see God. They will see God's provision. They will see God's mercy. They will see God's love, God's working. Now, this produces in them a resolute life. What does that mean? First of all, a resolute life is something that begins with an inward purity. That's why he says pure in heart. It's an inward purity. Though we cannot come about a pure heart in and of ourselves, we've been given a new heart and a new life as citizens of this kingdom. You say, when Jesus saved you, if you're a, a, a born-again believer, Christian today, when he saved you, he changed your life completely. He gave you new life. He gave you a new heart. He made his righteousness yours. 
took upon your sin upon himself and paid the penalty that he did not have to pay. That's what salvation is all about. It's about God saving us by taking our punishment for us and then giving unto us the righteousness, the holiness that he had, the perfectness. So you see, even in Ezekiel 11, it was prophesied, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. You see, a resolute life begins with an inward purity with my relationship with God. Then I want you to notice a resolute life is seen with a true commitment to God. A true commitment to God. You see, this phrase refers to those of singleness of heart as well. Not only a pure heart that I am, uh, that, that you can say nothing between myself and my Savior. Something that says, listen, I'm not going to let sin block my relationship with God. Not just that inward relationship, but then a singleness of heart. Something that says, I'm purposed to do this. I am committed to following Him. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. A resolute heart saying, Listen, I want God to begin to work in my heart, and I'm going to follow him come what may. That we might be like those uh, three Hebrew uh, teenagers or, or young men that were there in Babylon when the king said, if you don't bow, you're going to go into the fire, and they say, we will not bow. That if you throw us in the fire, we're willing to go, but we're not going to bow. We're not going to change. They were resolute in where they were going. They were young men that were pure in heart. To say, listen, inside I know who is my Savior. I know who my God is, and he's able to save us. And if he won't, let me tell you, King, we're still willing to die for him. We still have a singleness of heart. We can't love God and bow down to your statue. We only have one God in our life. You see, one a citizen that has the right kind of character in life will produce that kind of conduct in their life, a resolute life. Then I want you to notice lastly this morning, verse number 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is an intercessory life. You see, with this beatitude, we see Christ define our actions as a peacemaker. The evidence of a godly character being lived out is there the fact that there is peace living in and around me. Can I say the peacemaker looks to have unity? Those who live as peacemakers do not delight in division or bitterness or disunity. But they rather seek to bring unity in all that can be done. Unity in the home, unity in the church, unity in the family. Unity. You may be asking, what is it that brings unity? Well, what brings unity is having the right kind of center in your life. If you know a little bit about gravity, you'll know how a little bit of how it works. Gravity, if, if there's something spinning so quickly, it'll create a little a, a gravity field. It's the force that pulls things to it. And if you know a little bit about our solar system, you, you'll know that the planets go around the sun because the sun is a million times bigger than the earth. It's the largest, obviously, object body in our solar system and because of it its gravity pulls nine or eight planets sometimes Pluto can be counted a planet or not it's up to you science people to figure it out but it, it gets them to go around the sun because that that uh, that sun that that the weight of it creates so much gravity that it all stays there together in that solar system and not only do you see it in the solar system you see it with our planet and the moon and you see all kinds of uh, that effect even in our earth, why gravity is so uh, strong here on earth. And when you go out to space, you see that they float around because the gravity is not so strong there. And I say that to say this, when you have the right kind of center in your life, you'll have the right kind of unity in your life. You say, what is it that brings us together? What is the center for the peacemaker? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look in Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That means they hold together. What's going to keep the unity in your family? When you keep Christ as the center of your life. What's going to keep the unity in your relationship when what's the center of your relationships is the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why he says this is an intercessory. A peacemaker is someone that brings people together. How can I bring them together? By bringing them to Jesus Christ. You see, the peacemaker looks to have unity, but the peacemaker, lastly this morning, looks to give the gospel of peace. One who is a peacemaker will be one who gives that peace to others. Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I give unto you. He said, my peace I leave to you. My peace I give unto you. Then he instructed them to take that peace to others. Jesus has brought peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us peace with God. But then he said, now I want you to take that peace to others. There in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know what he's saying? Be a peacemaker. In Ephesians, he says, uh, the, the feet, we, Our feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. In other words, we ought to be ready to take the gospel wherever it needs to be taken. I was speaking with Miss uh, Linda just uh, on Friday, as, as one of the teens were going home, back to their home churches, and we are talking about one camper that was there this week who was Chinese, <clears throat> and uh, didn't speak a whole lot of English, uh, was very broken, and he was he's studying here, him and his mom, they moved here, and, and uh, they found the camp on the internet and gave, uh, I guess, a couple months notice that they were going to be coming this week. Anyways, in preparation of that, uh, I think it was Jason or John, one of the two, was able to get a Chinese-American dictionary and Bible. And throughout the week, of course, hearing the preaching, he could only gather a little bit of it. But he had a counselor by the name of Ryan that was there. And Ryan took him aside and began to explain to him the gospel as best as he could. He, he had to use very small words. He was saying things like, sin bad, sin bad, Christ good. Christ can save you. Christ forgives. As a result, he took him about an hour and a half or so to communicate the message of the gospel. But at the end, that young man accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And in the broken English that he had said, I want my mom to get saved. I want to share this with my mom, he said. And as she was sharing that with me, she said, man, there's just something that pumped me up so much. He said, and then I, I read on his decision card, and, and it asked for what church do you come from? And he said, and he wrote there, no church in China. He didn't know of one single church in, in the country where he came from. And it lit a fire to say, who's going to go? Who's going to be the peacemaker to China? Thank God we have peacemakers here. But who will go? You see, Jesus said, happy are those peacemakers because they will be called the children of God. They're identified and say, there's something different about that person, what he's saying and what he's given me. There's something different. As soon as that young man understood the gospel, he said, I want my mom to have it. He became a peacemaker like that. You see, a peacemaker doesn't just look to bring unity to others but he looks to take Christ to others. Christ is the Prince of Peace after all. That is the King of our kingdom. And he says, if you want to experience a little bit of heaven here on earth, be a peacemaker. You see, we've seen this morning that our conduct as citizens of the heavenly kingdom brings joy and happiness. It brings it through a life that is holy, a life that is merciful and resolute, and intercessory. But I wonder, how's your conduct today? How is it that you're living today in this kingdom? Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know if you're part of the kingdom. 
You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open up, I will come and dine with him, and I will sup with him. Jesus gives the invitation. If you receive me, I will go in unto you. Being part of the kingdom is being and making Jesus your king. And if you haven't made that decision, today's the day to make that decision. I wonder this morning, if you are part of the kingdom, how you living? How you living? Are you experiencing a little bit of heaven today? Did you experience a little bit of heaven this week? How do I do that? Live a life that is holy, merciful, and resolute. And be a peacemaker. And I'm telling you, the joy will never end. I pray that this morning, we can live as good citizens of this kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Father, for just the fact that you've made us citizens. Each and every one of us that have made that decision can rest assured today that the kingdom of heaven is our kingdom. You are our king. Oh, but Father, I pray that we would be able to reflect that in our daily living. Oh, Father, I pray that you just bless this short invitation. As the piano plays, no one's looking around, but perhaps you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, you're talking about being a part of this kingdom. I'm not even sure that I'm part of the kingdom. I can't think of a time where I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I want to do that today. Would you show me how I can know that I'm part of this kingdom? Would you raise your hands? Is there anyone like that? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know that I'm part of that kingdom. And perhaps this morning you're saying, Pastor, just would you pray for me? There are some things that God just showed me this morning in this passage about my conduct and about maybe why I'm not experiencing the full joy of heaven in my life. Would you just pray for me that I can live out what Jesus taught. Pray for me. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. I'm not, not going to call you out. God bless you. I see those hands. Anybody else? God bless you. Father, this morning, you've seen our hearts. And Father, we want to live as citizens of your kingdom. We want to live as those that have been redeemed and changed. And Father, we want you to live through us. Help us to honor and glorify you in what we say and do. Help us to live out your truth every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Let's stand while we just have a few quick announcements here just as we are standing. Just a couple things right before we leave. Tomorrow is our last Kids Week at camp. So I know there are still a few that have signed up here from the church. Uh, If you are going to be needing someone to transport your children there, there is a sign-up sheet at the Information Center. Please sign up there. So it is the last Kids Week at camp, so please do that. And uh, then uh, very important for the teens, uh, for the teenagers, uh, you do have the Six Flags uh, outing coming up on the 1st of August. However, if you look... In your bulletins, you need to sign up by July 17th. Today's the 14th. Tomorrow's the 15th. Tuesday's the 16th. Wednesday's the 17th. I just went through that. Listen, you need to sign up by Wednesday. If you're going to go to Six Flags on August the 1st, you need to be signed up by this Wednesday. So there is a sign-up sheet out in the Information Center. I just saw it out there. So swing by there. Put your name on there if you're going, if you're planning on going uh, if you do it on July the 18th, you're not going. I'm, I, I'm assuming that because it says that's the deadline, all right? So Pastor Jeremy said that is correct. So sign up, sign up, sign up before July 17th if you want to go to Six Flags. There's a few other announcements there in the bulletin. You can see that. And uh, we do have our Sunday school classes following right now after the service, so I encourage you to find a Sunday school class. Thank you all this morning. You are dismissed.